You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church in Lumberton, North Carolina. You can join us each Sunday morning at 1045 Eastern Standard Time at hydepark.online.church. Let's remain standing for a few moments as we read Scripture together. Our Scripture today comes from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all of the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasure, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what the prophet spoke by Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what it tells us about your story, for what we can learn about our story from your word. And God, today we pray pray for your blessings on us as we hear and listen that you may not only be honored, but that uh, you are able to break through each of our individual issues today and and help us to learn and hear what you have for us. God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. As you can see, I am not Pastor Jeff again. Um, Pastor Jeff uh, 
got called up to his parents' house in Wilkesboro this weekend a couple days ago. Uh, both of his parents have COVID, so we ask that you'd pray for them, consider them this week, and going into this week um, with their family as well. Now, a lot of today is just going to be some factual information, uh, trying to help us get a clearer picture, a better understanding of some of the facts surrounding the story as we have from Matthew, just to help us understand more and uh, have a clearer picture. But also, I hope to end today with uh, a strong call to you uh, to, to be the light to your family and your friends this holiday season. So uh, as we begin, uh, starting in verse 1, uh, we hear of Herod after Jesus was born um, in the days of Herod the king, the wise man come. Now Herod was known as Herod the Great, um, but he wasn't really that great as far as we consider great to be. Um, Herod was a fairly ruthless ruler in many, many ways. A um, Couple things about him, he came into power in 37 BC and he died in 4 BC. And so you might ask the question, now wait a sec, if, if Jesus was born at zero, right, then why is Herod gone before Jesus gets on the scene? Well, there's a, a conflict, a controversy that happened between changing over from a Roman calendar to a Christian calendar, and there was some issues in dating some things. And so technically, according to the calendar we go by today, Jesus was born around 6 or 7 B.C. Okay, so there's some, uh, something to think about there. But going back to Herod, um, Herod did some great things as far as, uh, as that goes. He was a very uh, good architect. He built a lot of things. Matter of fact, there's many things in Israel today that are still dated back to Herod. There's one big stone that's something crazy like 100,000 tons or something that he created and put in the right place. Uh, there's all kinds of, of buildings that have his, his fingerprint on them. Uh, he also was a great diplomat between the Roman government for which he served, but also to the Jewish people in the town of Israel where he uh, was the leader. So he was a good diplomat in that respect. But he was very, very, and this is kind of, can't even say it hard enough, uh, he was very paranoid. Uh, he was paranoid that he was going to lose his kingdom, that he was going to lose his, his leadership and his rule. Uh, even so much so that he had many, many people killed that he thought were coming in to take over his throne, including some of his family, his wives, couple wives, uh, I think at least three of his sons uh, were killed as well as many other leaders um, because he was so paranoid about that. So it was necessary to walk very cautiously whenever you were in the presence of the king for any reason, which makes the words of the wise men pretty interesting here, quite noteworthy. Um, so a little bit about the wise men before we talk about that. Uh, the wise men weren't kings, um, most likely. They were just uh, influential people, uh, wealthy uh, leaders, um, religious, political leaders. Um, they were called magi, so they might have had uh, some magician-type uh, characteristics. Uh, they, they followed the stars, astronomy, as well as astrology. Uh, they, they tried to find meaning in how the stars were moving and aligning and that sort of thing. And um, they, they had considerable influence in the, the place where they were from. 
That could have been Persia, it could have been Yemen, it could have been a bunch of areas in the east, but somewhere probably eight to 900 miles away from Jerusalem. Now think about that for a minute. Now that's a day's drive for us if you're really having a good day, right? But for them, uh, eight or 900 miles, that's several months of travel. So uh, think about that as you're thinking through some of the things we talk about today. Um, and another side note here, you may have heard of the Bethlehem star being called the Eastern star. Uh, that kind of comes from uh, the King James version that says we saw his star in the east. You know, this idea of an Eastern star. But we got a problem that we got to work through here, a geological issue. If you got Jerusalem, you got the wise men coming from the east, and they see a star in the east, they're not going to be coming towards Jerusalem to follow the star, right? So we got some textual geographical issues to work with here for just a moment, uh, just information really. But uh, you probably would be better off reading this as, instead of, we see his star in the east, as from the east we saw his star, right? So they're talking about this region. We were in the east and we saw his star. Um, now there's also another interpretation of that, of how you could read that, which is what we have in the ESV and the NIV and a couple of other versions that says we saw his star when it rose. So that's also an accurate translation. Just, just something for you to think about too, uh, you know, when you think about talking about the Eastern star. Um, nonetheless, it's pretty remarkable that these, these guys from so far away see this celestial event. And they make the decision that this is important enough that we're going to travel for months. No telling how much it costs for them to do that in time as well as finances. But also um, just the, uh, the difficulty of the travel, but the expense of the gifts that they put together to bring to worship this king that they really knew nothing about. So it's pretty, pretty amazing that they, they chose to do that, no matter where the star actually was, right? Now back to their words. Uh, what they said to King Herod is pretty remarkable because uh, unintentionally they, they were pretty much an affront to King Herod, to his rule. Because the wise men, they don't ask if there has been a great ruler born. They're not asking, you know, if, um, if he was born, um, where he was born, that sort of thing. There's no if here. Um, not even asking if they're on the right path, hoping that Herod already knew about this king that was born. But no, their question is from a place of assurance. They said, we know a new ruler has been born. That's what this star means. So we're coming to you, King Herod. Where do we find this new king, right? And in addition to this, their wording is asking about the one born king of the Jews, they're not asking about this one who is to become king of the Jews or who might one day become king of the Jews, but the one who already is king of the Jews by birthright. And what this says to Herod is that he is the illegitimate king, that someone is coming to oust him as the rightful king, to, be, to become the rightful king. So imagine this question being asked to Herod already in his, um, in his paranoia, already being insecure about his rule, and the way these wise men ask this question, you can imagine what boils up inside of him. 
which leads us into verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all of Jerusalem with him. That Herod was troubled is not really a strong enough word here. Um, he was disturbed. He was in turmoil or terrified. One version, even greatly agitated by these words. But note that it wasn't just Herod. It was also the religious rulers who were in turmoil as well. The religious leaders, they, in a similar way, they, they saw the end to their leadership, the end to their rule in the religious community. And in many ways, this foreshadowed this, uh, this future that was to be for Jesus, where the religious leaders, some 30 years later, are going to seek his life. So Herod, in verse 4, only having this superficial knowledge of the Scriptures, he calls together the, the specialists, the chief priests, the scribes, and he is trying to find out where the Christ will be born. See how that reads there? In verse uh, 4, assembling them together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Now the Magi, the, the wise men, they asked the question of where is he who is to be born king of the Jews? We've come to worship him. But Herod is now asking where the Christ is going to be born. So somewhere in these conversations, a connection has been made by the wise, or by Herod, by the scribes, by the Pharisees, whatever. Uh, a connection has been made. This event that is happening is, is connected to all of these prophecies of the Messiah. All of these prophecies about the Christ, about the promised one. Where will this Messiah come from? is the question. And this quote, uh, this paraphrase in some ways from Micah 5.2, we see that Bethlehem is the answer. Now I say paraphrase because Matthew, uh, in the way that he takes this from Micah, uh, he adds a few phrases and he takes away a phrase. Um, it's interesting, the phrase that he doesn't use from Micah is the very last phrase of, of verse 2 uh, in Micah. Verse, chapter 5, where he adds, uh, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So you imagine if that phrase had been used by Matthew, there would have been a connection uh, to, this is not just a man from Bethlehem. There is, there is something more here. He's from old. He's from ancient uh, times. But uh, for some reason, Matthew decides to leave that part out, uh, which is fine because he's under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So uh, we'll give him that, right? Uh, but the two phrases that he adds also give us uh, some more clues and hints um, as, as well as some historical things. Bethlehem wasn't known to be much. It was a small town kind of in the boondocks in many ways, um, even though it was only a couple miles from Jerusalem. Uh, it wasn't well known. It wasn't very large. Um, in Micah, it read... Um, let me get my place right. In Micah, it read, O Bethlehem, you are, you are though you may be least amongst the, the rulers of Judah. Well, Matthew adds the phrase, by no means are you least. So he's basically saying, okay, Bethlehem, you used to be nothing. You used to not be known. 
You used to be, um, you know, in, insignificant. But now, because of what has come from Christ being born in Bethlehem, you will be great. You will be known. You will be significant because the Messiah comes from her. A second phrase that he throws in there, which I find kind of neat, is uh, in the Old Testament, in Micah, it reads this, one who is ruler to, excuse me, one who is to be ruler in Israel. And Matthew adds the phrase, a ruler who will shepherd my people in Israel. So it adds the context or the connotation there that it's not just this new king, this uh, this new way of living is not just going to be under a, a ruler uh, with an iron fist. It's going to be one who's going to shepherd my people lovingly like a shepherd would um, his sheep. But nonetheless, Herod now has his answer for where to search for this new king. So moving on into verse 7 and 8, Herod secretly summons these wise men to him because Secretly, I think he was trying to find a way to deal with this under the radar. So he invites these men secretly. You know, he needed a time frame. He had a place, but now he needed a time frame for what age to search for uh, for this child. Matthew doesn't record it here in this place, but they must have told him something very specific because Herod makes a very specific decision later when he goes to kill those who are two years and, and under. So even though Matthew doesn't record that here, we know that something specific was given. But going into the next verse, we see Herod lying through his teeth, really. Um, we can see it from this side of history. But he's trying to find the exact location of the child so he can worship him too. You know, so unlikely because he pretty much only worshiped himself. And so when he sends the wise men away, he thinks he's got a, a great plan in place. But after listening to the king in verse 9, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose, it went before them. It came to rest over the place where the child was. Now here we see the wise men rejoicing. To see this star is leading them now to the child. Now note that the star isn't pointing to the manger. The star is leading them to Jesus himself. Now our traditions, our Christmas traditions, our Christmas plays and musicals and pageants, uh, Christmas cards and even the decorations in our yards and the nativity scenes in our foyers, they all have the wise man being a part of the manger scene. Right? With Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus in the hay with the uh, shepherds and uh, the cows and the sheep and the donkeys and, and all that together. But that's not accurate because the wise men were easily one to two years later from the manger scene. And we've got a couple clues and hints about that in these few verses. First of all, when they told Herod that they first saw the star to the calculation that he had boys two, two years old and under killed, it tells us that we're a good one to two years after the manger scene, after the birth of Christ. 
Now we also, like I said earlier, this eight to 900 miles would have been several months of a journey. We also see Jesus in, in these verses being referred to as the child or the young child, not being referred to as a baby or the infant. And lastly, when the wise men arrive where the star is, they enter the house where they were staying. Not a manger, not a barn, but a house. Mary and Joseph had stayed in Bethlehem long enough to move into a house, to be living in a house. So those, those give us some hints of why it's one to two years later. Now something else to note here is the star is said to go before them. Now this terminology is very similar to the Old Testament uh, when the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day led the Israelites in the Exodus wanderings. Now a lot of scholars have tried to connect uh, the, the Bethlehem star to some sort of uh, celestial event like a star or like planets aligning or a comet or something along those lines. And that's pretty fun and interesting and uh, you know there may be some truth in there somewhere. But technically it's really irrelevant. In, in every way we can look at it, we have a miracle happening here. We have a star that is moving and leading, that is pointing to. And so it's a miracle of God. And uh, we, can, uh, we can conjecture on all the other celestial possibilities, but nonetheless it's a miracle of God. So they present their gifts to the child. Gold, which is fitting for a king. Frankincense, which was a spice that was often used in burnt sacrifices. And myrrh, which was another spice that was used in embalming. The wise men give their gifts. They're warned in a dream not to return to Herod, so they don't. They move on and they go home by another route. In verses 13 through 15, we move away from talking about the wise men. And our attention now turns to Joseph. He's told in a dream after the wise men leave that they should flee to Egypt. Now Matthew doesn't give us any idea that this is immediately. Um, it could have been many days later. But based on the way it is written, I think it's the same night. There's an urgency here. Uh, you know, this sense of urgency could have been that same exact night. Um, the, the way that the angel tells them it's urgent to leave now. He's coming to look for the child, to kill the child. There's an urgency there. They leave in the night in order to go on to Egypt. So it uh, very likely could have been the same night that the wise men left, that Joseph and Mary and, and Baby Jesus go on, not baby Jesus, sorry, one to two year old Jesus move on into Egypt. So we move into verses 16 to 18 and this is where it gets kind of hard because this is the worst part of the Christmas story. Not fun to talk about by any means. But Herod, in his paranoia, knowing that it has something to do with Bethlehem, knowing that it had something to do one to two years prior, he takes it into his, um, uh, his actions that he needs to kill all of the baby boys between uh, under two years old. 
Now, church history has said that that could be tens of thousands of babies. Tens of thousands of young boys in the Bethlehem region. That's a pretty, uh, pretty high estimate based on several things. Number one, Bethlehem was a fairly small community, a very small town. Uh, number two, birth rates were pretty low at the time. And even with that, number three, there was a pretty high infant mortality rate. And you take into consideration those things, most biblical historians and uh, demographers, they would estimate the total number of male children killed during this time probably being between 20 and 40. Now that doesn't lessen the tragedy here by any means. You know, the loss of one child is a tragedy. But no matter what, I think this gives us some insight uh, because there's no secular historical record of this happening. Um, the, the church uh, recorded it. Uh, the church even celebrates um, a day, on, depending on which church you're a part of, December 28th, 29th. Um, they, they celebrate the massacre of the innocents, and they consider these, uh, these children to be the first martyrs of the faith. Um, and so there's a celebration related to that. But um, what, what I mean by some insight here is because there's no historical record in secular uh, media, it gives us a hint just how bad Herod was. Because you think about all the atrocities that he would have committed. They were so bad that even the killing of 40 children doesn't make it into his, his history books. So it tells us a lot about just how bad he was. Now moving into the prophecy part of this in verse 18, Matthew talks about Jeremiah's prophecy, and this is related to the, uh, the Israelite captivity in Babylon. Rachel has always been a uh, matriarchal figure uh, to the Israelites. And the mothers of those taken into captivity in Babylon, those mothers were collectively referred to as Rachel. And coincidentally, Rachel's tomb is not too far from Bethlehem. So the women who lost their sons to Herod's jealousy, they wept as a group, as Rachel. They wept just like the mothers of those lost to Babylonian captivity. So what can we find from this? What is a point for this story? Hope? Joy? Peace? Love? Those four themes of Advent, they seem elusive when we're talking about Herod's actions here. I mean, how can the death of even one child make any sense in a larger picture of hope and peace and joy and love? And therein lies this, a central theme to all of Christendom, finding and being light in the midst of darkness. John chapter 1, John speaking about Jesus in verses 4 and 5 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I think we can all agree that we're surrounded by darkness. The political landscape, um, the economy, 
wars, the media, not just the news media, but all media, uh, movies and television and uh, magazines, uh, social media, it's all covered in darkness. You know, all the stuff that Pastor Jeff talked about in the series in Revelation, Herod's massacre of the innocents is no doubt born of darkness. But the darkness has not overcome it. I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not, but darkness only seems to have substance in the absence of any source of light. But as soon as the light is revealed, the darkness has no choice but to flee. And no matter how dark it may seem, part of our job as believers is to look for light, to look for the light of Christ. It's to find hope when there seems to be none. It's to seek out joy when there seems to be nothing but sadness. It's to search for peace in the midst of chaos. It's to pursue God's love when we see nothing but hatred. Now our very nature is to wallow in this darkness. It's to throw ourselves the biggest pity parties. It's to uh, wail, woe is me to anyone who can hear us, right? But we're not that creature any longer. We've been made new. Through the sacrifice of Christ, we have hope unmovable. We have joy unshakable and peace unending and love unquenchable. But it's not just about searching for light in the darkness. We're also called to be light in the darkness. You know, a beacon of light for those who are wandering in blindness. Just a few chapters later, Matthew records Jesus' words that we are to be the light of the world. A light that's put on a lampstand for all to see. A light that is so bright that others may see our good works and glorify God in heaven. Our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, our family, they need to see the light of Christ in us. The darkness that they find themselves in is very real to them. It may be so deep and so dark that the only possible light they see is you. So don't hide it. Now listen, I know we're surrounded by darkness. I know that that darkness is encroaching closer and closer and closer every day. And I know that that darkness brings with it hopelessness and sadness and chaos and hatred. Its uh, looming proximity is daunting and even terrifying, but it has no substance in the presence of the light of Christ within you. It has no power. It has no chance of snuffing out the hope and joy and peace and love of Christ within us. So my call to you today is draw near to God and he will draw near to you. As you find the light in him, then let your light shine for others. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you are the light of the world and that in your light we can find peace and hope and joy and love. And God, we know that we fail 
so many times. But we know that you can give us strength and wisdom and courage. God, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media on Facebook and Instagram.